Well, good morning, and again, welcome to Faith Church. Really glad you're with us. Hey, if you have a copy of the scriptures, join me in Acts chapter 8. Now, you can got it printed there. That's awesome. If you've got digital uh, access to it, feel free to use that. Let's just get to the scriptures together. Uh, we've been walking through the book of Acts together and learning some things about the early church, learning some things about what does it look like and mean to be the radiant people of God. We want to be radiant. We don't want to be radioactive. We want to live this life that um, represents Christ well. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. Before we get there, have you ever found yourself in a place where you felt ill-equipped or maybe unprepared for the opportunity that was in front of you. Maybe it was a, a new job you're, you were starting. You're like, man, I, I got the skills. I, I've got that, but it's a new company. It's new people. I'm not sure I'm really ready for all of this. Maybe, maybe you started a new school or a new school year, and you had new teachers, new classes, new people, and you're like, I, I mean, I, I, like, I like people. I like school most days, but like, I'm a little nervous. I'm not sure I'm really ready for this. I, for those of you who uh, are parents in the room, you can relate. People tell you it doesn't matter how many books you read, how much you prepare, how, nur- how ready the nursery is. You are never ready to really parent. Why? Because them little boogers don't pop out with a manual on how to decode the problems of their world and their life. It just doesn't happen that way. Like You can be prepared, but still not really feel ready. I think that's true of all of us. We often find ourselves in a places where we feel uh, maybe we're a little bit ready, we've got a little bit to offer, a little bit of skill, but I don't know that we're ever fully ready. I was talking to a friend this past week, and he was talking to me about uh, some opportunities uh, that he, he and his family kind of are exploring and looking at, and he's like, man, I'm just not sure if, it, if it's the Lord, I'm not sure if this is God, if we should do this, take this opportunity, not take this opportunity. I was like, hey, here's the deal. Are you 51% sure it's God? Ready, go. I think sometimes we have to be willing and ready to step out and take a step, even if we're only 51% sure, and trust that God is going to supply and meet and move in us. Some of you uh, who, who, who remember getting to the waters of baptism, it's like, man, I know I'm, I want to follow Jesus. I, I believe that he is who he said he was, and I want to give my life to him, but my life ain't perfect yet. Yeah, but are you, are you ready to take that step? And I think sometimes we have to be willing to say, God, I'm not perfect, but I'm ready to follow you. And that's enough to take that, that step. And what we're going to see in our text today is that the early church was faced and forced into certain things that maybe they weren't really prepared for or really ready for, but the opportunities were there and they stepped out in obedience, trusting in Jesus and his spirit. And I think that we'll find some commonality as we look at today's text. Acts chapter 8, if you remember last week in Acts 7, uh, Stephen, one of the seven selected to help lead and navigate uh, in the church, was, was being on trial and ended up being executed. He died for his faith. He was the first martyr. And this is where we pick up in Acts 8, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. 
a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Wherever they went. Friends, I want you to notice something. That the good news about King Jesus must be shared. It's news. And you have to tell news. News isn't just something that we hear. We don't just hear the good news and let it impact our life. But we recognize the good news of Jesus as King should be shared everywhere. It's got to go out everywhere. And what we find is the early church was in a place where they were being pressed and squeezed and in danger from persecution. And they started to scatter out from Jerusalem and they just made the decision, let's share Jesus and the news about Jesus as king everywhere we go. Now, you might remember back in the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, Jesus, before he had ascended into heaven, gathered with all of his disciples and he said, hey guys, uh, I want you to wait in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come, who I'm going to send as your gift, and he's going to come and he's going to empower you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be empowered to be my witnesses. That word witness is a word in the Greek martyrio, which is where we get our word martyr. He was saying, you're going to be empowered by the Spirit to be a witness for me. You're willing to put your name on the line to testify of who I am as Lord and King. You're willing to lay down your life, cross your heart, and hope to die. You're willing to put and stake everything in it. You're all in on the claim of who Jesus is. And it's because the Spirit's going to empower you. And you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to be willing to share a testimony under perjury that you believe that Jesus is Jesus. And under that testimony, you're going to do that in Jerusalem, which they had already begun to do, which is why Stephen was killed. And not only in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. This news about King Jesus would spread. It's interesting. I'm sure that the early church probably had kind of a, a long-term plan. They probably had a five, ten-year plan mapped out. Hey, we're going to stay here in Jerusalem, and once we get things built up and the church is strong and healthy and we're vibrant and we got plenty of leaders, we'll go ahead and move to Judea. And when Judea is ready and we get those things built up, well, then, then we'll have another networking of people and we'll be a sending network and we'll send out to Samaria and we'll be ready to tackle the problems that exist in Samaria with the gospel and we'll be ready and equipped and strong and we'll have answers and systems and strategies and all the things, the whole game plan was mapped out for them. What they probably didn't expect was the persecution was going to push their plan forward sooner than they expected. And they were faced with an opportunity an opportunity that maybe just maybe they weren't quite ready to handle. They weren't sure if they were well-equipped. They doubted themselves. But yet they continued to say yes to the opportunities as they came about, recognizing that while they might not be fully ready, 
they had been empowered with the Holy Spirit who was helping prepare them for the things that they were ahead of them. I really do believe that many times responsibilities that grow in our life, that we find ourselves in a place of new opportunities, that God will always supply his spirit and power to enable us to walk through the opportunities that he has for us. Really do believe that. In fact, I I think the danger is that we often talk ourselves out of taking steps because we disqualify ourselves as not ready. It's not perfect yet. We, we got uh, we to clean some things up. I'd lead a small group, but man, we just got some, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta get my, my, my stuff in order. I'm not really ready to do that. I, I'd, I'd walk through the waters of baptism, but I really want to do it on my own terms, in my own time, when I'm really ready to do this. It's not really, it's not really, not really for me. You know what? I would, I would really start praying for people, and I would do the 10 on 10 challenge, but I just don't really feel like I'm, I'm good at prayer. And so I, you know, I'll probably forget anyway, so I don't really want to commit because I'm going to forget, and then it's just wasted time, and I'll feel guilty and ashamed. And, and we do this, don't we? We just talk ourselves out of it, out of our obedience, out of following Jesus, out of the opportunities that are actually there to create growth in us and through those moments. We talk ourselves out of them often. I remember in the end of 2019, for a couple years now as a church, we had, in our leadership team, we knew that part of what God was asking for us as an assignment on our church was to start broadcasting our services live online, not just like replay, but live online. We knew that was a part of what God wanted us to do. And in the end of 2019, we were sitting there. It was around the October, November, and we were having some conversations like, I don't know, we got a couple of cameras. It's not really good. Our sound's not really great. We've, our lighting is terrible. Like, I don't really look good on camera. I got to slim down a little bit. I got to, like, all of these things were reasons why. Because once it's out there live, I can't go back and edit what I said. Right? Like, all of a sudden, everything's out there all the time. And what about this? And we had a long list of reasons why we weren't ready to start broadcasting online. But in November, we just said, you know what? We're 51% short. Let's go for it. We feel like it's the time. It may not be perfect, but let's just get started. You know what happened in the beginning of 2020, don't you? We weren't really ready, but we had a little preparation. Friends, the God that lives inside of you is enough. What has God? You might not be able to defend every element of the Christian faith, but there are some things that you know God has transformed in your life that you can start sharing with your friends that you can start representing Jesus in the hallways of your school, that you can start standing in faith and bring the good news about who Jesus is everywhere you go to. Because the good news of Jesus must be shared and spread. And what we find is that as they went into Judea and into Samaria, they took the good news and proclaimed the good news everywhere they went. In fact, as we'll see here in just a minute, Philip, the evangelist, takes the good news to Samaria. Now, what's so big about Samaria? Well, you'll remember that that Jews and Samaritans, they didn't get along. There was a lot of animosity between the two. And it wasn't necessarily because of color of skin or race or anything along those lines. There's a backstory to the reality of this tension and this conflict. Let me tell you a little bit about Samaria. Because it's going to play into what Philip encounters while he's in Samaria. Take a listen to this. Samaria was a town north of Jerusalem. 
It was down a valley and up a mountain. Samaria was originally a place one of Israel's kings purchased, and you can read about that in 1 Kings 16. As time goes, the inhabitants of that city got in bed with pagans who worshipped false deities. Now, I mean that phrase, got in bed with, both literally and figuratively. Why? Because bad company corrupts good morals. You are who you hang around with. You are becoming those that you belong to in your crew. Does that make sense? That's that's a principle in life, and that was beginning to happen in Samaria. And they, those who used to worship God, no longer thought God the most important God. He was just another God among other gods. By Jesus' time, the Samaritans were this. Uh, were half Jew in ethnicity. They were in direct rebellion to God's law, marrying outside the Jewish faith and worshiping pagan gods. Now, the law was not about race, but rather about spiritual worship. It was about um, honoring God. It was about a life of faith and worshiping God over pagan gods. See, they found themselves marrying not, not Jews, but they found themselves marrying non-Jews who worshiped these other false gods and deities. In fact, Samaritans ended up by Jesus' time believing that worship should happen only on Mount Gerizim. Jews believed that worship should happen on the mount known as Jerusalem. In fact, that was the argument that Jesus got into with the woman at the well in Samaria in John chapter 4. Now, why is the mountain and worship so important? Let me give you a little bit of that backstory. Now, when it comes to the nuances of this, the Bible and its writers talk about cosmic geography that incorporates mountains. This is their frame of mind. Mountains are places of encounter with spiritual beings like Yahweh. But they were places pagans would worship as well and sacrifices and offer sacrifices to have an encounter and find favor with other gods and deities or other Elohims. And when you were to worship a god and offer these sacrifices, the spirit and the life of that god, that deity, would fill you and animate you. These false gods, or as we would more commonly refer to them as demons and demon worship, began to influence others, and they performed dark magic and sorcery, brought illness and fragmentation to God's good created world in that region. As all evil does, evil always corrupts, erodes, and distorts God's good created order. Brings about acts of decreation in humanity. Evil is evil. This is why when Jesus came on the scene, even in Jerusalem, even in other regions like Galilee, where this was also a bit of a problem. He did miracles that overpowered and overturned the power of the demonic and dark forces. The worship of Samaritans and the background of that location play a huge role into what Philip is about to encounter in Samaria. Let's read it. Acts chapter 8, we'll keep going, verse 5. Philip, for example 
went to the city of Samaria. You've got the backstory now. And told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to Simon because, for a long time because he had astounded them with his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message about good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And at that name, every knee will bow on heaven, in the unseen world, on earth, and even those under the earth. They preached the name of Jesus. As a result, many men and many women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip everywhere he went, and he was amazed by the signs and the miracles Philip performed. Now, we see some really interesting things here. Philip shows up, preaches the good news about Jesus, his king and his kingdom, and the name of Jesus, the power, the authority, the the kingly rule, and the ultimate God of all gods known as Elohim, as Yahweh, God the Father, God the Son. And he came demonstrating those things, and this power was at work, and demons were being cast out, and people were screeching, which, side note, still happens today. Seen it with my eyes, and I could tell you story after story after story of how God's power still delivers people. Lame people who were not able to walk and sick and ill were being healed and experiencing the power of Jesus. Sidebar, double click on that for a minute. That still happens today. I've seen it with my own eyes people getting out of wheelchair, eyes being opened, withered hands being stretched out, legs shorter than the other being lengthened to be found, tumors dissolving and falling off. Jesus Christ, who is Lord and King and power over all, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his healing work is still in operation in our world. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Now, this isn't a message about healing and about power and about demonic deliverance and all the nuances of biblical teaching and why people get healed and don't and this and that. That's for another day and like 12 cups of coffee. But they were beginning to experience it. And as a result of true encounters of transforming work of God and people giving their lives and choosing to surrender to follow Jesus as king, pledging their allegiance in public form known as baptism, there was great joy among them all. You realize joy is one of the key markers of the radiant people of God. Like joy is the thing that God... When the Spirit of God and the transforming work of Jesus begins to happen in your life, you begin to smile a lot more. To turn to your neighbor, check and see if they're smiling real quick. 
If you're not, go ahead and throw one on real fast. Like, yep, I got a smile. There it is. There's something radiant about a smile and joy. There's something radioactive about a furrowed brow too, folks. Here's what I want you to see. That Philip went and proclaimed the gospel. And the gospel proclaimed accurately and correctly leads to people believing, repenting, responding in a pledge of loyalty to Jesus as king through their baptisms. These were appropriate responses to the declaration of the gospel of who is Jesus. Now, what is the gospel? Uh, If we were to sit around and talk about what is the gospel, many of us would articulate something that we have heard before, some form, some phrase, some thought, some idea, and it would inevitably uh, have something to do. Now, we took an entire year talking about the King Jesus gospel here as a church, an entire year, helping us understand that the gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is about Jesus. We've said it this way. One of our gospel liturgies that we say at the beginning of our service is this, that the gospel is the good news that God our Father, the Creator, out of His great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin and Satan and death and hell and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and to establish His kingdom through people who participate in a loyal allegiance and the power of the Holy Spirit, that this is for God's great glory and our profound joy. And I love that, that we're talking about this is the result of the good news being pronounced, that this is what it looks like for for gospel people to pronounce something good over our nation, over our land. And I think we have to be careful, though, that we don't conflate the good news about Jesus with the amazing reality of the benefits that Jesus brings us. Because when we center the good news about Jesus, about what it does for us, that still makes us the subject of the gospel. And the gospel is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah and King. That's what Philip was talking about. When we get the right understanding of who Jesus is, oh, there's all sorts of formation and transformation that begins to happen in our lives. There's something of a response that occurs in us. And there are benefits without a doubt. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, and he says this, and this is the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, and I passed it on to you. This was of most importance of what has been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried, raised from the dead, and on the third day, just as, and he begins to articulate in 1 Corinthians 15, like all of this, the truth about who Jesus is and what he did, but it was all framed around this idea that he was the royal king, the Lord over all, and he has power to deliver. And he had the power and the name that God was elevating, and he was the promised one, and Jesus is the king. The author Matthew Bates, who's a theologian and a scholar, writes in his book this about the presentation of the gospel. He says, two of the three passages in which Paul most explicitly articulates the gospel, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 8, Romans 1, 3 and 4, reinforce this very claim. The gospel announces that Jesus is the Christ, but both also mention his ruling office, his Davidic birth, and his resurrection from among the dead. Yet also take note in those passages what is not mentioned in those two gospel passages. 
No human sin, God's righteous standard, the cross, death for sin, or the return of Jesus. Nothing about heaven. Nor is the gospel in those passages said to be purposed towards helping a person get there. In fact, nothing has been said about our salvation at all in those passages. There is no mention of trust, repentance, or the like as part of the gospel that they proclaimed. Neither is there any indication that justification by faith was a part of the gospel. Pastor, why are you kind of parsing through this? Again, we have a tendency to conflate the good news that they proclaimed about who Jesus was with all of the consumer benefits and transactions we feel like we get from Jesus. It's not that those benefits aren't there. Do I believe in the cross? Yeah. Do I believe in the forgiving work of Jesus? Yeah. Do I believe that God is in heaven and there's eternal life that begins in our relationship through him? Yes. Do I believe that Jesus raised from the dead? Yeah, without a doubt. Do I believe in justification and righteousness and repentance? Yeah. I sure do. I just think that we have to be careful not to confuse the benefits of the gospel with what the scripture says the gospel is. It's a distinction. See, the gospels according to the scriptures about Jesus as king and his power over evil. As he brings his kingdom, it's not about us. It has profound implications and benefits for us, but ultimately the gospel is about Jesus. So when we see that the gospel is about Jesus as king, ruling, reigning, and overall power and dominion and might and strength are his, all of, all of those things, when we see what they presented about Jesus, what they, pro- talk, what they called the good news, which is about Jesus and his power, when, when they did those things, there was a response that was necessary and appropriate to hearing the gospel. Oftentimes we talk about our response to the gospel is salvation. I'm going to kind of parse some nuance here again, friends. The typical response to the gospel and what we do in response to the gospel, I think, uh, are seen in this text. They heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, they repented, and they were baptized. Great response. All of those are actions in the biblical understanding. Let me say it another way, and it's going to mess the apple cart up a little bit. Those were all actual works of salvation. Theologians call them salvific works. When it says that they believed, that's the Greek word pisteo, comes from the Greek word pistis. Just go ahead and smile and say pistis. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. It's fun to to get Greeky every once in a while. That's what we would often hear in our English as faith. Belief and faith, belief and faith. Now, what's interesting about words like belief and faith, it reminds me of how we hear them so often, we easily appropriate them for what we want them to mean. Let, let, Let us take the word cool, for example. We do this in English all the time. The word cool... 
When I say, oh, that's cool, we're talking about something being okay, being hip, being trendy, being all right, being what, it means lots of different things, and depending on the context, we kind of know what it means. Here's rarely what it means, something that is uh, uh, related to temperature. I say cool, you don't think temperature. But that's actually what it originally meant. <laughs> it actually had to do with temperature. In fact, we've, we, we appropriate so many terms, we actually created secondary dictionaries known as the Urban Dictionary to try to help us decode what words actually mean today. I find it helpful most days, a little scary to read sometimes. Right? And for those of you parents out there, all I got to say is the word, bruh. And you know exactly, like, that word means, like, apparently that means mom now. I had no idea it meant mom, but apparently it does. Why? And we do that with words. We hear them so often and we place them in context and we miss out on what they originally meant. Can I tell you in the Hebrew and the Greek understanding of this word pistis and believe, that word pistis in the Greek means loyalty, trusting action, and allegiance. We hear faith, they hear those things. When we think about hearing the gospel, we think like information that is being processed mentally. The Hebrew mind, that's the word shema, S-H-E-M-A, and it means this, to hear information and to respond accordingly. It's both listening and responding. Hearing and doing in accordance with what you heard. Two sides of the same coin. It has multiple sides. It has dual meanings. It's not just one thing and it's not just the other. It's both and, not either And so when they're hearing the gospel about Jesus and it's saying that they are believing what they are hearing, it's not just be like, oh yeah, I have a mental assent to an agreement with that thought. It's I'm hearing it, I'm processing it, I'm mentally responding, and I'm going to move in that direction and in my actions trust what I'm hearing. In that hearing and understanding that Jesus is king, that he's the Lord, that he's the Messiah, that he has power over this other false God that I've been worshiping my entire life, and he's more important than money, he's more important than sexuality, he's more important than my 401k, he's more important than my hobbies, he's more important than than life, he's more important than than anything else. And upon hearing that he is Lord, I'm going to respond with loyalty and trust that is ongoing and an allegiance that moves me in his direction. Pastor, I thought, I, thought, I thought it was grace alone through faith alone and Jesus alone. Well, I get the idea and I agree. Just, I, I just want you to know, like that phrasing is not explicitly biblical. The scripture says it is by grace through faith, not of our own works trying to prove our righteousness. It's a gift from God. So, so that's the scriptural, actual, specific thing. So I understand what people say when they mean that. Absolutely, I, I get it. But grace is, means gift, and faith means allegiance. So, so if we're trying to say that, that the work of the Spirit and the work of God comes from us 
receiving a gift from Jesus and us responding with our loyalty, our trusting action, and our allegiance to Jesus, and that produces the saving work of God in us, absolutely, I'm in. Because that's what it meant to them. It wasn't just some mental assent of agreement. It was an embodied. That's why they said faith without works is dead faith. Now, there are dead works, and there are dead faith. There are works that you do in trusting in the work, and there is believing and ideas that you agree with, but no responsive action. Here's why. Because gifts in, in, in antiquity, and I do believe salvation is a gift. It's something God does for us. He has the power. He does the heavy lifting. It's his power. But, but can I understand? They understood. We hear, again, English word gift. We meant no strings attached, but if I don't like it, I got a receipt. I can send it back. Like, that's what we hear when we hear gift. When they heard gift, here's what they meant. In ancient Near East and in Greek culture, when someone gives you a gift, it's not a gift with nothing attached to it. It's a gift that you respond to so they know you received it. In fact, they would send you a gift, and unless you sent back something in response to their gift, they didn't know you ever received it. You ever send a text message and you're wondering did they get that like and now like iPhones are super smart they tell you whether somebody it was delivered and now it's been read and you can just sit there waiting on the response right unless you're smart like me and you turn off those notifications so you ain't even have any idea whether I read it or I I got it delivered you you left unread a little bit till I Respond. This is the gift of God that He sent Jesus as King and Lord. And our receiving of that gift looks like our proper response of pistis, loyalty, allegiance, ongoing trust that He is King and ruling over all. In that response, it's an ongoing action and work of the Spirit. I said that there are dead works. Look at Simon. Simon did dead works in this passage. The other men and women did saving works. They, they did works that were trusting in Jesus, trusting in who he was. Simon did works trying to earn something. Those are dead works of righteousness, where you're trying to buy something of God where I'm doing the work and I'm trusting in the work, not trusting in Jesus as a response. There's a difference. Look, 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 look at what happens in Acts. Look at what happens in Acts. Acts. Acts 8, verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard about the people in Samaria, they were all excited and joyful too, that they had accepted God's message that Peter, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. Pause. Remember when Jesus sent his disciples and he said, go out, make disciples, and baptize them? Anybody remember what he said to do? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and baptizing them in the name of the Son and baptizing them in the name of the Holy Spirit. But they had only received, I was going to just show you the, the number, but like I decided, to, they, they only had been baptized in the name of Jesus. 
you know, you can read between the lines now, right? Like, okay, they had only, only been receiving the baptism of Jesus. Look at, look, at what, look at what they do. Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these new believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Oh, let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for you thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray for the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and still held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to what? Preach the good news. Here was Simon. Well, I I kind of agree with this Jesus guy. Sounds like he's got some power. Oh, I need to get baptized? Oh, let me go ahead and do baptism because then I can have the same power and I can still work my magic. See, Simon didn't want to lose his social clout and political power. So he was willing to get in bed with any God and say anything and, and, and trumpet some any sound and talking point to get and curry more public favor and support so that he can maintain his power in the culture. Be careful of people who are willing to say anything about God in terms that you would agree with only to curry your favor and to win your popular opinion vote. Be wary of those things. Simon had dead works. He did the baptism. He got in the water, did the thing. But the transforming work of Jesus wasn't really taking place in his life. He wasn't in a place even to receive the Spirit of God. He didn't even get fully cleansed. Why? Because he still had a bunch of evil and jealousy and bitter roots in his life that were causing crazy distortion of things. Why? Because he had given his worship and allegiance to other gods for so long. He wasn't really willing yet to give up his loyalty to them too. Now this, this story kind of messes with our theological lines, doesn't it? Like, Well, they got baptized, and they believed in Jesus. Surely they're saved. But they hadn't received the Spirit. In fact, you'll find in the book of Acts, like this process of like believing in the truth that God sent Jesus and who he is, believing and being cleansed by Jesus, and receiving the Holy Spirit, this threefold baptism. Like, they were so committed to this in the early church, but they didn't really care the order in which it went. You'll see sometimes it's like this, like boom, 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 boom. Sometimes it happens all at once. And sometimes as you read through the book of Acts, like they, they repent, they receive the Holy Spirit, like tongues and prophecy and power is all happening, and they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, let's go ahead and get you in the water too. Let's do that one too. Let's not forget this element of the work of God in your life to deliver you. The word salvation in the Greek has a couple of different meanings. It does mean save like rescue, save, but it also means to deliver, like a deliverance from. Like something in you needs to be set free. You got to get deliverance from something. Uh, Jesus said, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three are important. 
They all matter. It's the manifold. I love the, the work in Ephesians where it says um, that we hold to the manifold wisdom of God. In other words, the many-sided elements, the many components. They're like, it's like God has a special coin when it comes to some things, and like they've got three sides, not just two. Like they have multiple. It's a manifold, many-sided elements to understanding the full truth of who God is. Which is why I, I think some of our theological arguments are really just short-sighted. Because we're arguing from one side of the coin, but there's always another side. We're arguing from one point of wisdom of Scripture, but Scripture also says there's like another one over here. Because frankly, I don't think we're going to really get to figure God out entirely, but we can know some things about him that grows our loyalty and our love for him. I think sometimes we get sidetracked on those discussions and arguments. Can I just say it this way? Receiving the Holy Spirit is essential for someone to experience the eternal, flourishing life of God. Water baptism was a ceremony and a sacrament that in that day was kind of a common understanding of what it meant and what it... I think that's why in Acts there's such an overemphasis on receiving the Holy Spirit. I say overemphasis. That's why there is indeed much emphasis on receiving the person of the Holy Spirit. That was a whole new thing to them. That God himself wants to come and indwell this vessel and that I become the temple of the Holy Spirit. They put such an emphasis on it. Now, throughout church history, I wish I had time to, to walk you through all of these things, like why they stopped. Because early, early church, they, um, they actually baptized you. Well, they, they threw you under the water three times, all in the same moment. We baptize you in the name of the Father, recognizing the adoption into the family of God. We baptize you in the name of Jesus to cleanse you from your sins as you renounce every evil allegiance and spirit that you've come in contact with and given your heart over to. And it was a deliverance and a washing, just like being, uh, just like the Egyptians were drowned in the waters of the Nile. So all of the evil that you've been embodying and living and in partnership with is getting buried in the waters in the name of Jesus. They bring you up, knowing that you've been cleaned and renewed and and all of the sin is gone but you are an empty vessel and so they baptize you in the name of the Holy Spirit because you need to be a filled vessel because God doesn't want to just sweep your house clean he wants to fill you with his spirit so you are full of the life of God and it's in him that you begin to live and move and find your very animated being reflecting the love of Jesus everywhere you go on mission that you become a little Christian, a little version of the anointed Christ everywhere you go because the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead gets to come and live on the inside of you and me. And somewhere in the early church, and there are some practical reasons why I could tell you about and I think over time, over, over certain renewal, and then we get to moments where, where, where they started separating it out, where they would do water baptism for the cleansing, and you would take communion for, 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 for recognizing that God has done, and then you would go into a confirmation process where they would lay hands on you and confer the Holy Spirit on you, and these things were there, but then they started adding extra things, and the reformers were like, nah, dog, those things aren't scriptural, we're not in on that. And then we like separated it out even more, and then the charismatic and Pentecostal renewal shows up, and we're like, whoa, we need the Holy Spirit, and like we overemphasize okay this is a bad word um then we 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 highlighted tongues as like the mark of how you've got oh can you shun the baku okay you've got the spirit and everyone else is still missing it and it caused all this division and chaos and strife when all along jesus said you need it all now hear me i 
I love the person of the Holy Spirit. I believe in speaking in tongues. I do it daily. And I'm not weird because of it. I might be weird for other reasons, but that's not it. (laughs) It's biblical. It's a gift. And I think it's available for every believer who wants it. I really do. I believe in the, the gifts of the Spirit and the power and the prophecy and tongue. Like, I believe, in all, I believe all of it is biblical and for today because it's the same Holy Spirit. And the mission of the church hasn't stopped. So we still need the empowerment of the Spirit. And people are still worshiping false gods and seeing evil grow in them. And we need the power of the Spirit, Absolutely. Friends, we need the fruit of the Spirit. We need the life of God. And I believe receiving the person of the Spirit in our life actually moves us forward into the flourishing life that God longs for us. Some of you have been in water baptism. Some of you have even prayed the prayer of salvation. But your life isn't transforming. And you need the power of the Spirit to see your life begin to transform. That's why the other believers, the men and women in Samaria heard about the Holy Spirit and received the full baptism that Jesus promised and told us to use. So some of you, you're, you're, you're more like Simon. You've done the prayer, you did the baptism, and you were just trying to, in your own self, trust that that was good enough to get you the transaction of heaven one day. It, 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 it's as if you took the vaccine of hell and think you are free from all evil and sin for the rest of your life, no matter what. And all the consequences are gone. And that's, please hear me, that is not a statement on, like, science and vaccines. Just, it's not the point. The, the point is, we, we think that one single transaction where we're trusting, hear me, in the works for our own righteousness. Well, let me check the box and do the prayer and do the water and do the thing, but I'm still going to have my allegiances in my hobbies, in my priorities, in my money, my sexuality. I'm still going to have my, in, in my, my addictions, in my opinions, in my politics. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep doing my own life and my own thing and live as my own Lord. There's a story from worship team. Go ahead and come on up. I need to, I need to wrap this sucker up. There's a story from medieval times where they, were, um, where they were baptizing the soldiers during the crusades and stuff. And the soldiers in the crusades knew what it meant to walk into the waters of baptism as pledging and confessing an allegiance to Jesus as Lord, as King, as Messiah. But as they would go down into the water, they would hold their sword above the water. As if to say, God... I am all yours, but not my sword. Because I got some more sinning and life and priorities that I want to do. So Lord, I'll give you everything, but not my sword. I, I wonder how many of you went down into the waters and you were holding something up above the water when you did. I wonder how many of you have, were like, well, I prayed a prayer one time, but I... I don't really want to do the public, like, water baptism thing. I just, I'm not really flattering when I get all soaking, dripping, wet. You're you're missing, you're missing something. 
Maybe, maybe you're somebody, man, you, you've, you know you've been adopted and given your life to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've even received the Holy Spirit. And you know, man, I've got the tongues, I've got the, but you've never entered the waters of baptism. There's an element of your loyalty and obedience and priority to Jesus that you need to get that too. stand if you would we're going to go into some worship and as we worship we're going to baptize there's some people who have kind of planned to be in baptism so you're participating in water baptism maybe you're part of our team praying or getting things ready you can go ahead and move now over over to that area got a few little logistic things we just got to do so we're going to give them some time to do it but one of the things this week as I was preparing and I was reading this, recognizing that the work of God is important and necessary. And it's the manifold wisdom of God. And he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and baptize them in the name of the Son and baptize them in the name of the Holy Spirit. That some of you here, you've, you recognize, man, I really do inwardly, I, I've accepted the reality that Jesus is King. And I really do believe that He's Lord. But you're, you're only like 51% sure that you really want to follow him. And you're like, I'll get baptized one time. I, I know it's important. I know how to do it. I'll just do it sometime. Today, the waters are open for you. If you know Jesus is king in your life, you know that that's something that you're there. You're not perfect. It's not exact. It's not everything. You're not going to be perfect. You're never going to be 100% ready until you do it. So today, after those who we've already planned and we're ready and they've been prepared for baptism, you're like, man, I, why wait? There's water. Let's do this. You, as we pray, can make your way right on over there. We've got extra towels, extra T-shirts, that you can wear either in the water or after you get out of the water. Why wait? Is he king? Then let's say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. And let's respond to the gift of Jesus with our loyalty and our public declaration that we want to follow him. As they get up out of the water, what you're going to find is we have a team of people that are over there and instead of like the trifecta of dunking today, we decided to do one dunking. And as they get out, we have a team of people that are just going to lay hands on you and on them, praying that the Holy Spirit would be imparted into them. Because it's the Holy Spirit that does the transforming work of our lives. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to worship and we're going to celebrate. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, as we just kind of begin to posture our hearts to come to the Lord and worship Jesus here we are Lord the gospel is about you as king as ruler over all and there's much evil and power and sin and corruption and things that eat away at who we are God but Lord you are king and you are Lord Lord we don't want to be the rulers in our own lives we don't want to be the ones trying to earn and curry favor and making it all work on our own and our own efforts and our own dead deeds. God, we, we long for you to move in our hearts. 
So, Lord, as we get into the waters of baptism and those are there, Lord, would you meet them there and transform them? God, as those come up out of the water and our team prays for them, God, would your spirit fall in a fresh way? And, Lord, for those that are here that they know that they've done baptism before, but it was a dead work for them, would you revive something in them? For those here today, Lord, that you know and they know they need to take this step and get baptized and their heart is pumping and they're already making excuses and they're already knowing, Lord, would you give them the courage and the faith to loyally respond and say, doesn't matter, I'm saying yes today to Jesus. It's my day today and I know it is. Lord, would you move in that way in their hearts? Lord, we thank you that when we meet you, when we surrender to you, when we hear of you, everything can change. And it gets harder and harder to recognize the sin and the person that we once were. So, Lord, today we worship you and we honor you. And we sing praise to your name, Jesus. Let's worship together.
Everybody wanna be holy, righteous, purified and spotless. Let me tell you, it's only by the blood. Does anybody wanna be holy, forgiven, justified, really living? Let me tell you, it's only by the blood. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. I know it was the blood, could have only been the blood. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. I know it was. Does anybody want to be holy, righteous, purified, and spotless? Let me tell you, it's only by the blood. Does anybody want to be worthy, forgiven, justified, really living? Let me tell you, it's only by the blood. church let's sing it come on let's worship the king Oh, I will give, I will give you all. 
Come on, let's sing our love to the Lord. You alone, you alone, Lord. I long to worship. Jesus, you alone. You alone. Worthy, you're worthy. You're worthy. You alone. I will give. Yes, Lord. You are my worship. Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, if you're here today, heads bowed, eyes closed, we're focused on Jesus for a minute. If you're here, you'd say, Pastor, I, I know I've been adopted, I've been clean, I've been washed. But I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I want to receive the the power of the Spirit that brings the transforming, flourishing life of God. Would you lift both hands to heaven right now? Just lift both hands to heaven. Would you pray this prayer out loud with boldness and conviction? Say, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are God. Thank you that you sent Jesus. And Jesus, you promised to send the Holy Spirit and give Him as a gift from all who would ask. And when we ask, we receive. Holy Spirit, fill us today. Full to overflowing. We want all that You have for us, O Lord. We surrender all to You in complete surrender and adoration to you. You are Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us. And say, Lord, today we declare that you alone are all we long to see. You alone are our Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Come on, would you begin to just tell the Lord in your own words how much you love him. Begin to worship him. Begin to tell him thank you. Thank him for the gift. Return your worship back to him as a reception of his gift. Return it back. Tell him, God, I love you. God, you're worthy. You're holy. You're honored. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We give you all our honor. We give you all our worship, Jesus. We thank you for your life. We thank you for our life. Thank you for the Holy Spirit today. Full and overflowing in our lives, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you today for what you've done in our hearts and what you're continuing to do. May we become the radiant people of God in full loyal allegiance to you, Jesus is King, through the power of your Spirit at work in us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before we say our blessing, can I just say this? It was really fun today to watch people just in the moment say, all right, I'm, I'm ready, I'm going. We had it happen in both services today. And I wanted to, to bring some clarity. Typically, we, we, we err on the side of making sure you've been catechized a little bit. You've got a little understanding about what happens before you say yes. 
we're not really in the business of like in the moment trying to manipulate and, and make some emotional response that you don't know what you're doing or mean what you're doing do it and doing it in fact next in two months in November we'll have another water baptism there's a process and some things that we want you to understand before that happens and you can sign up and start that process today if you want but I believe that when you read through Acts a lot of times it's like hey listen you made the there's something in you let's respond in baptism and there was a response that was immediate and it was just a response to a real work that God was doing in someone's heart and I believe that's what was happening today can we just thank the Lord for that for that work that he's doing in in so many hearts today All right, as we get ready to go from this place, can we speak blessing over one another today, nice and strong, ready? Let's read it together. The Lord bless you. And give you peace. We'll go in God's grace and peace today. And let's go, Chiefs. We love you. Amen.